Welcome to the Harwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. Today we have a special guest, head coach of Virginia, Tony Bennett. He's a three-time National Coach of the Year and entering his 16th season as a head coach. In 2019, Coach Bennett led Virginia to their first Final Four, overcoming a loss in the first round of the NCAA tournament the year prior. They defeated Texas Tech in overtime to win their first national championship. Hear how Coach Bennett sets up his program for success, how they make sure they're living out their values every day, and apply sound basketball principles to their X's and O's that help each team reach its potential. Before we start, a quick word from our host, TJ Rosine. Hey, welcome to our basketball podcast. I just wanted to say an extra thank you today to our loyal listeners and welcome anyone who's listening for the first time. Not only do we have a great guest interview to share with you today as we work towards our mission of educating, empowering, and encouraging coaches around the world, but we're also excited for our upcoming episodes with multiple national championship winning coaches. I learned a lot from these upcoming interviews, and I know you will too. Make sure you subscribe and stay up to date. We're committed to bringing you quality content and more interviews like the one you're about to hear, which will help you be more successful and impact more lives as a coach. Now let's dive in. All right, welcome back to the Hardwood Hustle. We have a really special guest today, and I know I've said that before, but I'm talking really special. About a year and a half ago, we were on episode and said, if you could interview anybody who would it be and i said you know gosh i'd love to have another conversation with my dad who coached me and i'd love to have a conversation with john wooden but if there's one that there's a possibility now it's a long shot but it's a possibility it's coach tony bennett that's the one that i would love to talk to and love to interview and coach tony bennett is with us today coach thanks so much for taking time to be with us thank you tj you, you gotta shoot your sites a lot higher than getting an interview with me so i uh, i'll tell you that right there that's pretty that's pretty low mister as they say so you you can you can do better than me but i'm happy to be on with with you and sam and lisa and um no anything i love i'm looking forward to talking i know you guys i love what you're doing and what this podcast is about so thanks for having me on yeah well let's let's jump right into uh to culture here coach and you know, I shared a minute ago, one of our pillars is just gratitude. And I got it from researching yours and, and read everything I could on them and just a really powerful five pillars that you have. And wanted to know first, how you came up with those five pillars. And second, how, how are those lived out? How are they actionable in your program? Good question, because, you know, you can have words on a wall. I think you can see them behind me. Um, but if they're, if they're just lip service, they're no good. And those are, we call them our pillars or our core values. And it's really cool how they were established probably almost 40 years ago. Um, my father was a man of faith and he decided somehow he wanted his faith to play out in his vocation as a basketball coach. So he literally went to the Bible and he said, what would make for a great team or a great player? What are some biblical principles? And he, Humility. Don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think too lowly of yourself. Have, have sober judgment. Know your identity as a player, as a team. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, humility, that's a position of weakness. Oh, you talk about a position of great strength. And then passion, do not be lukewarm. And servanthood, unity, thankfulness, each one has a significant thing as he studied scripture, why, why they would make for a great team. And so those are the teachings, you know, whether you're a, a, you believe or you don't believe, that's just wisdom and truth. And they're, the sources, obviously, they're, they're from scripture. And actually, I remember my dad coached his team to Wisconsin, the Final Four, Barry Collier was the coach and Jim Laranago was at George Mason. They came and spent some time with him in 2001 and he shared those pillars with them and coach Collier loved them. And then they adopted them and they became the Butler way, which a lot of coaches are familiar with. 
Coach uh, Larinaga went to a Final Four at um, at George Mason and used the same pillar. So it's just kind of cool because they're not mine. They're not my fathers. They're the teachings of Christ. And they've stood the test of time. And, um, of course, there's life lessons and there's there's the scriptural side of it or the spiritual side. But but from a basketball standpoint, it's really cool. So that's those are our pillars. And we, we they matter. You know, you get into, you know, I've heard my dad say this, this pillar of unity. Um, and we use an African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And, you know, every coach understands that and how they have to play unified. But I'll never forget my dad. He said, son, when you take over a program, make sure you recruit a staff and players that you can lose with first before you win. And, um, you know, when you have a group that can go through adversity uh, and lose and be humbled in that way, you're going to learn from that. And I've always remembered that when I've been a part of coaching and assembling and recruiting. And uh, so anyways, those pillars behind me, you know, servanthood, um, the way to greatness is through being a servant. We talk about what it means to be a foot washer, the story in scripture of Christ washing the disciples' feet um, and what that means in our program, to be a foot washer, to be a servant, to, to play in the right way, to screen, to hustle. Our managers are the greatest servants as coaches. We know that, right? Um, but but what it means to serve. Sometimes that means being the aggressive guy that's got to go score and guard the best player. You know, all these things matter for us. So again, we can go on and on about it, but they're really cool. Um, to have those and they're actually embedded 18 inches below half court at our arena. I'm in my office right now. And um, each player that's played for me, each coach, each manager, each trainer, their names are written kind of in this burn parchment and they're all written in there. And then those are the five pillars. And we burrowed a hole at half court and our team was together. This was actually the year before the national championship. And we put them under half court and said, this is what this program is built on. When you watch this 20 years from now, you tell your kids, you see that half court? Guess what's under there? So it's kind of cool. So anyways, a lot of, I get excited about talking about it. So it's been a cool, um, uh, good for us. And again, they, they matter to us because there's usually a violation of one of those pillars when your team's not playing well. Um, and I think each program has to come up with their own, but it's good to have those for culture building, for even to reset your mind. We recruit to those, we coach to those. And you can almost always point to one of those um, that you need to tighten up to be good. Yeah, and that's that's really good, Coach. And I know Sam's got a follow-up question on the adversity piece here in just a second. But I wanted to ask you, how do you get player buy-in there? Like, how do you go about making sure, hey, the players believe in these things? And if it's going well, what are some ways that these pillars show up in, in action or in words? For sure. Um, well, they're, we're all a work in progress, right? I mean, no one comes in and they're not perfected. But – but you know when people are, you know, about the right stuff and are are genuine. I mean, everybody has dreams, individual goals, and you never want to take a player's um, sights off of that. But but these are things again; they matter to us, and and we share how they're going to shape their life. And it's funny; most of the parents and the young men um, they understand that these will be with them way past basketball. These will, you know. They'll understand when they're hopefully, a, you know, if they're married someday or a father or they're in their profession, they'll be able to look back to those. And that's one of the most rewarding things is when the players who are done playing say, you know, in my work or coaching my youth team or as a dad, I think about a lot what it means to, you know, be thankful, to be a servant, to, to have passion towards, you know, these things. And I love that. So I think there's such life values. And, um, you know, again, they play out. You just you see them. I mean, you're always tested every practice, every game, your, your humility is tested, whether it's 
through success or failure. And, you know, we we're all kind of self-centered. So you're always fighting those things, but, but they're really, their position's a great strength. Yeah. Coach, speaking of failure, you know, 2018, you know, you guys lost and being the first number one seed to lose to a 16 and to watch how you handled that with such grace um, was remarkable to be honest from afar to watch you do that. And there's a quote you, you talked a lot about, and I'm going to say it now, which is if you can learn to use adversity right, it will buy you a ticket to a place you could not have gone any other way. And I love that quote, but that's hard to live out. It's really hard to live out. And then that you go on and win the national championship the next year, but you're even down, I think, at halftime to Gardner-Webb the very next year. So could you just talk about how you – how do you live that out? How did you, how did you live it out? And I think a lot of coaches can learn from that. Yeah, no, I can remember that moment after we lost to UMBC and, you know, CBS puts the camera in your face and you're kind of, you're there. But shortly after my wife said, you might want to watch this. She went to it. It was a Ted talk in Charlottesville and this guy called the storyteller. That was, it's a great, it's like a 15 minute. I recommend it to all coaches listening. It's, it's, it's just really good about kind of the story. It's it's unique. I made my team listen to it. And it's a little unconventional, but they all loved it. But that quote, you know, just because you go through adversity, everybody thinks, well, we'll be better because of it. No, you have to choose how you respond. And if you don't respond well, you're not going to be any better for, for going through something like that. So, you know, I'm looking at it in my office. My wife actually framed this picture where it's the UMBC ticket. And then the guy who did the storyteller that has a quote, he wrote it out and signed it. And then there's the national championship ticket, you know, and it's kind of like if you learn to use it right, that ticket will buy you a place. You couldn't have gone any other way. I, you know, it's interesting. We've talked about this. We have won the national championship the next year. Have we not lost? Maybe you would have, maybe you wouldn't, but I don't want to get, I don't want it to be lost. Like the real value um, in that loss against UMBC, of course, winning a championship going through that. But I think it was, what it did to our young men, it, it didn't destroy us. Yes, it was humbling. Yes, we had death threats after the game, probably the gamblers who lost money. We had, like, people were killing us. But it, like, it made us realize, like, you know what? My family, my faith, it will always be there. You can't take that away. I still love the game. And kind of the byproduct, absolutely, was winning the national championship. But to realize, like, it's okay. We're going to fail. We're going to face things a lot harder than that. We're going to lose family members. We're going to lose things. And and I think what that did from a humility standpoint, from a, a perspective, um, it made me realize that I'm not defined by what I do as a coach. And, I, and I, I made each player, after that year, we do something called the chair exercise. They sit in a chair and we ask them, you probably heard this, tell us your hero, tell us a hardship and a highlight in your life. And then the players ask them questions. It's kind of a cool exercise. But all those guys that were part of that UMBC loss, I said, instead of uh, asking you a hardship. I want you to share what you learned from that hardship of being beaten the first team in the history of the tournament. And it was fascinating to hear that. And I, and I told them when I got on the chair, when it was my turn, I said, I said, it made me want to win a national championship. It made me so hungry to coach better, to learn more. And they're all nodding like, yes. I said, I have a fire burning inside of me to go after this. And you know, you could feel like they're ready. And I said, but I said, it did something even greater than that. I said, if I never coach in a national championship, if I never get a team to a final four, if I get fired, I said, I'll be okay. I said, because I realized my faith in Christ is the most important thing. My relationship with my wife and my children. When you go through something kind of publicly that's hard, um, you realize what truly matters and, and the relationships that are there. And that happened with our team. 
And it was, it was powerful. And it almost in a weird way freed me up to coach that year. Now I didn't like it the next year when we were down 14 against Gardner Webb as the ones and I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? You know, I'm like, if this is the path, this is the path. And obviously there was a great story told and in the excitement of winning and all that. But um, sorry, I'm talking so much, but it just was powerful that I got put in that spot. And um, that's kind of what that quote means, you know, Sam, in terms of what it was. And yeah, I was so thankful my wife shared that with me. So that's kind of where that comes from. Well, it is really powerful. No, I, I really appreciate you uh, elaborating on it because, I mean, when you're in that moment, and you, you mentioned the very next year, down 14 at half, but you're so grounded in your faith. But how did you, if we could, you know, dial in and double click on your player, get, it's one thing for you as a coach to believe it and to be grounded in your faith. And I'm sure you have players that are of faith, but probably have all different backgrounds. How how was the process of getting them to believe again and believe in your system, believe in your co- you know because a coach you're a salesman in a, in a sense you got to get them to believe in the vision as well. So maybe just talk about how you got them to believe. It probably wasn't a one time thing; it's an ongoing thing. But talk about that a little bit. I remember what I said when when my dad said you know when you're building a program you have to recruit young men and hire a staff that you can lose with first, that you can go through adversity with. There was no, look, we, we went 17 and won that year in the ACC champion and won the regular season ACC championship, won the conference tournament, cutting the nets five days later, we're, we're getting beat. We lost our, our most talented player, DeAndre Hunter. So he didn't play, um, but, but it was such success, such failure. So you could lose with those guys. You could go through adversity. And then that pillar of thankfulness, if, you know, Yes, you're thankful for all the blessings you have, but are you thankful for what adversity teach you, teaches you? Because that's where true wisdom is. So interestingly enough, you know, at halftime of the UMBC game, we were only down one. And it was just interesting versus the halftime of the Gardner-Webb game, how we as a staff decided to deal with them and approach them and, and just what we did. And we learned from that UMBC game, like, look, we're not going to make the same mistake. We're not going to go in there and, you know, ah, you know, it was, it was like, no, listen composure play the position there's just a different way and look the players have to play and they've got to do the stuff but because they handled that pressure I don't think any team's ever been in a spot like that the rest of the NCAA tournament was like we got in some tough spots was like we've been through this we're okay we'll keep our composure and we're okay if it doesn't happen now I don't know if our guys really believed if we lost again as a one seed they thought their life would have been over but but the reality is is it wouldn't have been you know we're defined so much by how successful we are. And that's the biggest lie. Um, what you do as a coach, how much money you make your status here. You know, I just see it screaming at our young people, us as coaches, and it's such the wrong way. And there's a different way. That's so much better. I, my wife, I I'm given like an info commercial for Ted talks, but she sent me a Ted talk by Simon Sinek. You guys heard of that? They called the golden circle. I think like 10 years ago, it's your why. Why do you do what you do? And I remember listening to that. It was like a six-minute deal. And you know, it's important how you do it, what you do, but why? You know, that why question. And, and I watched that and I said, I want to show the college basketball world that you can, you can do it differently. You can do it recruiting young men to these pillars. You can play in a way. You can – you don't have to – I don't know. And there's a lot of programs that do it right, but there's this – this notion that you have to be a certain way to be successful at the highest levels of sports. Um, there's a, there's an arrogance that has to be there. There's a, there's an edge, there's a gray area you have to get to. And that's not, I didn't know if we'd ever have success, but that was my why. Like, I want to show that 
you can honor the Lord, you can recruit guys, you can do it right and maybe compete for a championship. And look, I've gotten way more than I deserved. I didn't think I'd ever be a national championship coach. I didn't want to coach. I saw my dad do it. I saw my sister. I'm like, I'd be crazy to coach. I just wanted to play in the NBA, retire, do something easy, you know, and, and somehow I got pulled into the game because of the influence you can have. So again, another long version or long-winded answer, but so important for all these people who are listening and the impact you're having, you know, don't, don't lose sight of that. Whatever you have a faith or not, like it, it's, it's like a trap that it just screams at you. You know, you're not enough. You're not good enough. And that, that's not true. It's not. There's so many things that matter more. And it doesn't mean you can't go after greatness and pursue excellence and be as intense and as competitive, but in a way you can almost be freed up. So I think that's really important for young coaches and old coaches to remind yourself of that and, and to be tested by. Well, coach, we were going to dive right into that topic of leadership and you've you know already touched on many things and that coaches need to be thinking about as they are leaders in their programs and leading young people. And I just, I'm a firm believer that it's so important that our young people today have models of exactly what you're talking about. Models of integrity, models who, of people who believe and, and live out their values, live out their faith. And so I'd love you just to touch on how you do that in a world of sports where it's people say, if you're not cheating, you're not trying and recruiting violations and operating in the gray area. How do you stay true to your values in the spotlight? And also just how important is it for you that you model that as a leader for your players and the young men who are under you? Yeah, no, I mean, that same character is who you are when no one's watching and that you better have, again, good mentors, as you said, that's so significant. I was blessed to watch my dad have to rebuild programs. And again, him establishing these pillars that aren't just words on a wall or lip service, those matter. Like if they don't matter, then you shouldn't. But I think we all need something to kind of be grounded with and pulled to. Um, and you're always faced with a choice. You really are. And I just choose, I want to... I want to put my head on the pillow at night, as they say, and not worry about it. I make mistakes. Look, I lose my cool. I'm, I've done things, I'm sure. But but in the end, when you look at this, if you really are grateful, I think you said it's one of your pillars, TJ, if you're really thankful for all that's come our way, if you can live a life of gratitude, boy, that opens your eyes to, to be able to do things, hopefully, in the right way. And you do. I love, it's like a puzzle you're putting together and a team and I love competition. I love trying to help develop players and all that stuff and figure out offenses and defenses. But, but you really have a huge opportunity to impact these young minds, whether you think they're listening or not. I heard, a, I think Billy Graham said it, like a coach will have an opportunity to impact more people. I think he said than a pastor will in like one year. So it, it was a, it's, it's some stat, I, you guys might know it, but like, you're with them in failure, in success. Before you go out, you know, for us national TV, you go out in front of 15,000 people and you can see and you just have those moments and they're not playing and there's those issues. And so I think you have to look at, if you choose to be a coach, yeah, you want to win and you want to be successful, be thankful for the spots, but it is a privilege. And, um, you know, you have to be able to be willing to be a person of influence. And maybe the greatest lesson I saw from my father in coaching is when he was a coach and maybe when he'd step over the line, he was a fiery Italian and he was intense. He used to wear me out. Um, but with his team, if he ever did, I'd say at the end of practice, I'd see him or the next day or in the moment, he would say, you know, whoever to one of his players team, he's like, forgive me. I made a mistake. I lost my cool. 
I struggle with my temper. I want to be so good. I insulted you. That's not the way it should be. Forgive me. You know, and, and I remember sitting there and I was thinking, man, when a, when a mentor or a leader is willing to not act like they have all the answers that they struggle to or say, I screwed up, forgive me. Boy, it just does something. And I think that influence, we're so afraid to admit we're not very good or we make mistakes, but to say, I need forgiveness. I mean, that's that's the message of the of the gospel, you know, and as a person of faith, that's the most important thing. And I respect where everyone's at, but um, we're all in need of forgiveness. And I just, I love that lesson that my dad would show these young guys. And I try to remember that because it's so intoxicating when it's going well, and especially at this level, but any level, but it's also can be intoxicating the other way when it's not going well and how you look at your self-worth and it's a battle going on. And that's why you have to purify. Why do I coach? How do I want to influence these guys? What are my core values? Can I love the game? Can I not lose myself if I'm married or I have kid? Can I, can I have a balance? Because um, if you're going to, what good is it if a man gains the whole world and yet loses himself? That's a great scripture. And you think about that and, and having a taste. I played three years in the NBA and that was my dream. I worked my whole life as a player to get there. No one thought I could. And I got drafted, played about 13, 15 minutes a game as a backup point guard. And it was great but it wasn't all I thought it would be. The national championship and the ACC terms was phenomenal. It was great. But it's like, I had a friend of mine say, it's all like cotton candy. Tastes good. Ooh, that's sweet. And then it evaporates. And then you want more. And then you want more. And I think you better be grounded in what really matters as you get into high-level sports, but even high school and having to deal with parents and all that stuff that goes on. I think it's real real talk. You know, Coach, I, I think you hit it on the head there. I think as coaches, oftentimes we lack vulnerability and we're not willing to ask for forgiveness and, and let people know that we mess up too. And I think it's a great model for our players to let them know that we mess up. What a, in the, Billy Graham, you know, most coaches have opportunity to impact more lives in one year than most people do in an entire lifetime. And is that the quote? that's the quote. And, and it's a great wow. one. And, I, and, and it is, it's humbling, you know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, knowing that we can have that much of an impact on young people and um, we, we appreciate you for, for modeling that. I wanna talk specifically about your players and how they show up in leadership. So, you know, obviously you're a phenomenal leader and you've got a great staff of leaders, but the players gotta do it too. And how do they bring leadership to life? And, you know, do you have, you know, two captains and they speak, is it spread out through, through amongst the team? You know, the people lead in different areas. How do you go about developing leadership and is it different every year on your team? Yeah, I'm sure you guys have heard that quote. I heard it a number of years ago. A coach-led team can be good, but a player-led team can be great. And I think you have to have, especially in today's world. But, you know, again, when you try to recruit to the, the pillars that are important to us, and some people have it, some people lead quietly. Some people are more boisterous. You know, you have to earn that, right? You have to earn it, hopefully, how you play, how you conduct yourself, how you handle success and failure. But, you know, I've always been a little loose in terms of I never – I used to not even always have captains or announce like some, some programs it's like they have the perfect plan. And, and, and I sometimes like, geez, maybe I should do that. But I, I'm a little more let things happen organically. Like this is natural. And I'm going to, I'm going to name you the captain. Usually it's the seniors who've been through the program um, or an upperclassman, but I think it happens naturally. Again, could be wrong, but my opinion, you know, the players know, you know, and, and you got to encourage your guys to, to lead well, but, just who they're going to listen to and who, who can demand more and push the team 
as a peer. That's a hard thing as a peer now. Some guys don't want to want to step into that. They'll push themselves, but they don't want to hold someone accountable. I remember Malcolm Brogdon, one of the best guards I've ever coached, and I challenged him in his senior year. I, I knew he was going to be special because he was always special. But I remember in front of the team, and it was a calculated risk. <laughs> I challenged him. I said, I think you're too worried about yourself right now. We won't win without you. You're special, but I think you're too. It's time that you start leading. I kind of did it and sort of zapped him a little bit because he, he's an unselfish. He's great. And I remember he sat there and I'm like, this is going to make or break our year, right? And I'll never forget. He just decided whether he was mad at me or not. He took that team and he played great and he led them and he demanded accountability and he demanded them to play hard. And he just had a way. If you've ever heard Malcolm get interviewed and he's such an awesome guy, like he just has a presence. And so I think you find those guys in your team. You're like, yep. And the players do. They're gonna they're gonna look and they're gonna find the guys. Some guys try to lead, but they can't. I think it kind of works this way. But then you have to pour into those guys, and they got to lead well. Coach, I want to talk a little bit about player development and your overall and general approach to player development. We can get as narrow as you want or real general. Maybe a couple places to go just to start us is. What habits do you value and and when you're doing player development, maybe within a practice or off season, what what skills yep. uh, do you guys value as a program at Virginia? Yeah, no, I that's I think my upbringing, you know, I'm 5'11. I, I tell my wife I'm six feet. We have this argument all the time, but I had a chance to play in the NBA. No one thought I could, and I just I paid the price. I worked. You know, and I'm being a coach's kid. I mean, I I, my hand, fingers would bleed. I'd do ball handling. I'd go in a racquetball court, turn out the lights and just pound the ball and, you know, and, and just work. I remember losing the ball and then I'm walking around like, you know, a blind man trying to find the ball in there. But I would like try to always think of creative things to push the edge. And I always tried to train in the right way to get the most out of my abilities. And I'm a huge believer in that. And then I watched my dad at Green Bay. You had to develop. Same thing when I was the head coach at Washington State. We got maybe some high major talent, but sometimes the mid-major plus mid-major talent with great attitudes, it just worked and poured in and worked their skills and worked their, the things, the player development. So by the time they were in their, you know, upper class years, they could play with the elite guys that were younger. Then when I got to Virginia, you know, we probably got a little more talented guy and we just continued in. I'm a huge believer in that through the season in practice. I always carve out time to work whether it's finishing or picking things and trying to create different stuff, studying myself, excuse me, some of the best player development guys, whether it's NBA or college, I have a real inquisitive mind that way. Cause I love to figure out, all right, how can I, you know, I got more gadgets in the gym. I'm using the dribble deals. Look, um, you know, the founder Dick DiVenzio, it's basketball stuff. I would read that as a young guy and I'd work on a couple of those drills. Like I'm, I just am always seeking out ways. How can we push the envelope? How can we, have a guy bring the ball up two versus one, the width of the court, limit dribbles or do things, you know, just finding ways to get them out of their comfort zone, play in traffic. So I love talking about that. I love designing things. And the blessing of being at Virginia, we have like 10 managers. So like you can have, you can have a player and you can have three guys on them and like you can set up drills and do things, but I think you got to attack it and you don't have to overcomplicate it. I mean, sometimes you can get in your mind and over analysis can lead to paralysis, right? you got to attack the areas that you need to work on or make your strength stronger and go at it and study people. There's so much good stuff out there. Big believer in one-on-one, limiting the dribbles, short-sided games. I read the book, The Talent Code, and why soccer, I think it was in Brazil it started. They, you know, a lot of touches, they they played short side. Just stuff like that, of course, working on your shot, um, just having played. Just, 
I mean, I can go on and on. Like, there's two things. I'm a boring person, but I can talk forever about two things, basketball and the Lord. <laughs> so I can, otherwise, I'm boring. And my family, of course. So that those are my two passions and the Lord more than anything. But I think that's, you know, everybody has a trainer now and it's sort of changed. But, uh, but I think it's fun and kids will really respond to that. Like, how can we do that in practice in certain ways? And then there's a time you got to work on your team stuff. But you got to challenge yourself to learn and work and do that. I think it's a huge part of it. And you talk about investing in kids. When you do that, they love it. You know, that's a time when you're just, even if it's like just rebound for a guy talking about it, you know, hold your father. Really. It's just that time together. There's sure the personal thing, but there's just something about that time. Like, okay, coaches invest in time in me and they're, they're putting stuff in that is beyond the, the tactical side of things. Coach, let's talk systems and strategies for a second. You know, Lenny Acuff, a head coach at Lipscomb, is a good friend of ours. And, you know, Lenny has a quote, and he, he says, you know, sometimes you got to be a curveball in a fastball league. And when they think about Virginia, you're coming in, and you're coming into a monster, right? I mean, Duke, North Carolina, the Blue Bloods, and you're at Virginia, and, you know, you have been a curveball in a fastball league. You've done it differently. You've played differently. And want to know a little bit, you know, behind that, where the philosophy came from, you know, how you've been able to be different than everybody else. And, you know, also want to talk about, you know, what goals do you have as a team in your system and strategies? We talk a lot about the, the field goal percentage gap. You know, our, our team is trying to shoot 50 from the field and hold people to 40. And you can win a lot of games when you got a 10% gap there. And going through your statistics over the years, you, you guys have maintained a really good gap of field goal percentage defense and your field goal percentage offense, uh, which has put you in a really good spot. So we just want to a little bit about your philosophy. You know, going to, I went to Virginia, I want to play this particular style. How did you come up with your whole philosophy on your systems and strategies? Yeah, I was fortunate because I watched my father. I played for him at Wisconsin Green Bay and it was a Division II program and it went Division I and they were terrible. And they hired my dad. Same thing at Wisconsin. They hadn't been to an NCAA tournament one time in like 50 years. Then when he came out of retirement, went to Washington State, he always had to go and rebuild. And when you have to rebuild a program, when you're at the bottom of the conference and you're more the have-nots, it sort of purifies and refines what you do. I remember thinking boy, when I become a head coach, I'm going to run a press. I'm going to have a zone. I'm going to have a flex continuity office. I'm going to run ball screen. I'm going to run more. I got all these ideas. Well, I like what my dad's doing, but I'm going to add this and that. And my father was always influenced kind of by Vince Lombardi and Bobby Knight, kind of simplicity with execution. The older I get, the more I realize. It doesn't mean you're not complex, so to speak, but you have to do some things or a few things at a high level very well than trying to do, you know, that jack of all trades, master of none. You, you, better, you better put in there what you got to get good at and, and be as good as you can. And so he, he would go to those programs and he chose a way to play that gave him a chance to beat the best. Wasn't the fastest pace. It was hard-nosed defense, take care of the ball, take good shots, quality basketball. And, you know, there's a lot of people say, ah, you know, you're not, this isn't fun to watch. And I watched him and he he was a stubborn man in a way. It bothered him when people would attack his style of play, but he stayed true to it and he kept building it and he got the kids, he developed them. They became mature and then he would win. And I'm like, how would he get that out of those teams? They weren't that good. Um, so then he did it, you know, wherever he was, he did that. So when I became a head coach, you know, boy, the second it got a little rocky, I would have probably had a, not as, oh, we, we need to, we need to get rid of guys. We need to go, 
get, you know, whether, you know, some transfers or a junior college player here, and we need to change our system. We need to, you know, and I just saw this steadiness in them. You, you have to find a way that works. And so that was the biggest, that was huge for me. You're always adjusting. Look, I haven't played in the NBA doing things here. I'm always adjusting and finding things, but you have to have some non-negotiables, things you stand on for your, I'm talking non-negotiable. We talk about those pillars and the character and the all those things, but non-negotiables in your system. This is, this is, and your players better know what their identity is, humility, right? They better know what we hang our hat on as a team, defensively, offensively, and, and there better be a level of accountability to those things. So how you choose to play has to give you a chance to beat the best in your league. That, that was kind of his philosophy and how he went about it. And then you have to be, you know, willing to take some shots from the outside people. Uh, again, it's, you know, we've gotten criticized a lot for the style of play. You don't score as much. When I took the job at Virginia, they said, don't ever go to Virginia. They'll never win. Like they're in the league with Duke, Carolina. They'll never win. Well, then we started winning and then people say, don't go to Virginia. Yeah, you'll win, but you're never going to, you're going to have to play defense. You're never going to be able to make it to the NBA, you know, and, and all of a sudden all these guys that were three-star guys, for they started developing and they're starting to have big careers in the NBA because the NBA likes it. Man, these guys are sound. They're tough. They defend. They know how to play efficiently. You know, it's just interesting watching that. There's different systems. That's the beauty of basketball, whether you want to play the Syracuse zone, whether you want to press, play fast, or you want to be, you know, a little more half-court oriented. That's the best thing about this game. That's why I hope the college game doesn't just dovetail into exactly like the NBA. Um, my dad made a comment, and I, you know, kind of agree at times. Maybe I don't. He said the NBA has the players. College has the game. And I said, boy, that's interesting. And he spoke at something that was in front of NBA people. I remember he did it. And I was like, I love it. You know, but like the NBA, I love watching the playoffs. And there's so much talent. And those coaches are good. Don't get me wrong. But, but when you watch – you know, when you don't always have the talent, you've got to figure out ways to manufacture stops or shots. Sometimes I love watching European ball, the WNBA. College, like, you have to figure out what can your system get for you. And then there has to be freedom, too, in it that they can attack. But I, those are the things I like. And you're always adjusting, but you better have those non-negotiables um, that can be linked to your core values. And then they got to play out in, in what they are. And then, again, you better work at them. Can't just say, oh, yeah, well, we want to do it. No, you got to, you got to pay the price. So those are some of the things that... I know we're talking kind of real general, but it applies to whatever it is you want to go into. Yeah, some really good nuggets in there. And, and want to talk, we talk a lot with coaches about teaching and master teaching. And John Wooden even said a coach is really just a teacher. So what's your philosophy, coach, on, on teaching? And maybe it's your dad who was a great teacher. You have been around those that have been great teachers and yourself, you're great teacher. So what characteristics or what are you intentional about and how you teach your players? Yeah. I mean, I, I do think you got to figure out what your strengths are, how you're going to win. Um, I do like the, the simplicity with execution, you know, watching coach Knight, you know, he influenced so many coaches, Bobby Knight did, you know, when my dad's time was coming up and how that I we talked about Don Meyer before, I mean, his influence on the game and how he thought about it. And as the game is changing more to spread pick and roll stuff. Yeah. There has to be some adjustments, but sometimes the curveball, like Coach said, I think all that stuff's important. Philosophy-wise, teaching-wise, again, I, I think, you know, I read something on Coach Wooden because it's funny you brought him up. Someone studied him, and I can't remember. And they said it was fascinating watching him coach in practice. He would speak in like 10 to 20-second things. He'd be like, hey, down in a stance and keep your vision. All right, let's go. Boom. And he's on the next. I talk about the way he taught. 
this, someone was doing like a, a master's or PhD on communication and saying, they said he was very succinct, but short in how he did things. I know he was very organized, how you tie your shoes, your socks. And, okay. There's that. But they said the way he communicated things. And I've always believed in that as, as I always think, okay, when I played as a college player in my time in the NBA, what, what would I respond to? What would, what would I like? And I always try to think that way. Cause I, I've been part of some programs where the coaches can talk you to death. And I'm sure the older I get, the more I'm guilty of that. But I like being, this is what we do. We go after it. We're intense. We're brief. When I communicate to you, it might be a two-minute talk before the game. And I'm out. We don't, I, I'm not, I just think the way the mind works today with young people, you know, with the, the phone and how they are and how you can communicate. I just, I really like that. I mean, we're getting a little bit into things, but sort of the stick and move, but be consistent and concise and trying to like, you know, have, you know, share everything at once. I'm a real brief, here's what we're doing. Boom. We're on this. We're working this five minutes. Boom. Now we're on this. And when I talk to them, it's in short things. And again, a little more of the simplicity with execution mindset. Again, doesn't mean it's, there isn't some complexity to it and I don't adjust, but that's how I like, I think your mind has to be free to play. The game is so talented. And I think especially offensively, there needs to be some, some principles, maybe some, some rules, but then there has to be freedom. Defensively, same thing, principles, and then guys got to get after it and play. I'm not a great memorize this and that. Some teams are very successful with intricate things where they memorize every set and play. But I just as the game gets going at the high levels and all that, there has to be some freedom for guys to play, but they have to have the repetition and the, the, the base to then go out and make it happen. So I guess philosophically, I kind of align with that stuff. It's funny that you brought up that John Wooden. I remember my dad, he he helped uh, run Redlands camps for John Wooden out in California. And Coach Wooden would sit in the corner and he would watch everybody play. And my dad's name was Bobby. Call him and say, Bobby, come here. That player doesn't understand angles. They need to take a different angle if they're going to cut off the ball. My dad would have to run out there. Then he'd run back and say, hey, go look at this player. But it was real short yep. little snippets that he would he would see in a player and say, let's go help them get better in this particular area. So that, that rang true with me. I think that's important for young coaches and me, all coaches. You sometimes overload kids and it's got to be, and sometimes say, have them tell you what, you know, explain this to me what you're feeling, whether it's a shot, but I think simple, a one or two command. You ever take a golf lesson and you got a guy, you're thinking like, okay, I'm back here. I'm releasing the club. Hey, forget that, man. I rhythm. Give me one thing to think about. Same thing with shooting. I have like two or three keys and you just, I, I think, Sometimes we over overload the minds, and I don't think you, you got to be free to play the, the way you have to. Well, Coach, you've used the game of basketball as a vessel, you know, to serve the kingdom, and you just uh, continue to amaze us in the way that you just are faithful in everything that you do. And just want to give you an opportunity as we wrap up here, you know, any advice, any thoughts you'd give to coaches or people in general as they're trying to, you know, do the same and, and, and be a light in the basketball world, just some final thoughts for us? Yeah. Um, you know, you have to, every, everyone has to look deep inside what, what really matters to them. I, I remember my father, the year he, um, took Wisconsin to the final four, it was, uh, they beat Purdue and I walked with them to the press room and I was so proud. I was actually a, I was a, a manager on that team. I just got done playing the NBA and I was like, you know what? I want to just, I know my dad's getting close to retiring and I just want to help his program out. So I was a volunteer manager. That was my start in the coaching in 2000. And, um, and I was so, that was such a highlight to see him reach. That was always his dream as a coach to get to a final four. So they beat Purdue and we're in the press room. It was in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And you know, whatever, it's packed press room. 
And they asked my dad this question. They said, Coach Bennett, is this, is this the greatest moment of your life? And he paused, and I'll never, I've committed what he said to memory because I think it gets to what you're asking. He said, from a feeling state, euphoria, yes, it is. But it does not compare with faith, with family, with grandkids. And then he went on to say, because I know what truly matters, it enables me to enjoy what seems to matter like this. And you could have heard a pin drop in that press room. It was like, whoa. And, and I remember when we beat um, Purdue, ironically, we played Purdue to go to the Final Four. I got to recite that. I, I gave my dad credit. I said, I'll never forget because the same thing. It's, it's this thing. And so if, if your identity, Richie Coach McKay, an awesome man of faith and a good, was my associate head coach, he'd always lean over to me in my ear after a big win or a hard loss. He did it because there was, there was a lot of hard losses early and then some big wins when he was with me at Virginia, and he'd say, remember, Tone, he's like, it's what you do. This is what you do, not who you are. And I think it's right and proper to go after excellence and want to be great if you're a high school coach, an assistant, to pour into kids to influence. You, you're passionate. You're not lukewarm. You're passionate about that. But don't ever, don't ever make the mistake of saying, my identity is 100% tied in this. It's kind of what we started the thing with. So that that would be my advice. And then, you know, the other thing as far as from the tactical side of things, try to, because I made that mistake as a young coach, try to pick a few things, how you want to play, what you want to do, and don't overcomplicate it. Pick a few things, study them, know them well, understand your team, and uh, don't try to think like, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then you're, you're going to just end up confusing yourself and your, your kids, I think, you know, I've, I've made that mistake a few times. So that's more of the basketball piece. And then the other piece was more of um, the challenges that we all face. Yeah. Well, coach, you know, bucket list check for me having <laughs> the opportunity. So we are a small bucket, my friend. <laughs> uh, we, we, we're beyond grateful that you took the time. We know how busy you are, but to say, Hey, let me take 45 minutes and pour into coaches. Uh, we just really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Yeah, you guys, you you keep being a light. I know, thank you to, you know, obviously Sam, TJ, and Lisa. I know you guys put this together, and it's cool. Coaches are listening, so keep being a light. And um, like I said, it's it's awesome you're, you're doing this. So thanks for having me on, and I appreciate it. And certainly wish all the people that listen or watch this the best. And, um, again, I hope they find their joy in what you're doing, but not who you are. So uh, that's the most important. Thank you so much, Coach. Well, that is Lisa, he is Sam, and I am TJ, and we are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. If you haven't already, don't forget to check out PGC's coaching clinics. There are six locations to choose from with dates starting in August, and each clinic will feature a variety of topics and speakers. We're excited to be back in the gym with coaches, and spots are filling up. Go to pgccoaching.com for dates and locations. That's pgccoaching.com. As TJ said at the beginning of the episode, take a second to hit that subscribe button. We have some great episodes coming up with more championship winning coaches that you don't want to miss. You can also follow us on our social media channels at Harwood underscore hustle. We can't wait to be with you again next week.